0: amen amen it's so good to be with you this morning after cody's greeting i may have questions for pastor steve after this morning's message well i am steve gristom the associate pastor here it is so good to be with you so good to worship together i have the privilege of preaching god's word this morning we're going to be looking at matthew chapter 25 in just a few moments but before we turn there do we have any fans of the comic Calvin and Hobbes? Okay, a few? a few good. well, i haven 't read them all, but I do enjoy what i 've read. I bought a book one year for my children. I think I read it more than they did. But in case some of you aren't aware of what I 'm referring to, let me show you a picture of this lovable tandem up on the screen. Screen. this is Calvin and Hobbes. and one of the comic strips I read recently, I thought was fitting calvin 's boss caught him sitting at his desk staring out the window and he asked Calvin why aren't you working without much thought Calvin confessed to his boss because I didn't see you coming (laughs) that's funny and it points to our nature most of the time well we can't say that Jesus didn't tell us that he is coming he is returning that is without a shadow of a doubt The second coming of Jesus will happen, and it will not be subtle. During this month, we think about the birth of Jesus, and that's appropriate. We think about the fact that he came as a baby, born in humble circumstances. But we're also going to study today, and particularly next week, about his triumphant return. He will return. Jesus came, he lived, and he will come again. Amen? So throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, Matthew writes with a unique perspective, particularly for a Jewish audience, and he writes often of Christ's return. Matthew 24 is filled with references to Christ's return. And then the next chapter, our passage, Matthew 25, as well, talks about Christ's return. So let's turn there, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40 hope you have a copy of God's Word. If you are looking along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 881. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne... All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word. Lord, we thank you that... Your word is true. These are ancient words, but these are true words. These are relevant words for us today. So Christ has come. Your son, the son of man, he has come, and yet he is coming again. Let us not lose sight of this truth. Father, let us be reminded that he will come and all eyes will see him. It will be unmistakable. He will come in his glory. So, Lord, help us to rejoice in what is yet to come. Our days are sometimes difficult and full of pain, full of loneliness. And, Lord, we long for the new heavens and the new earth. So, Lord, we know that this world is not all that there is, that our best life is not today, but it is yet to come. So, Lord, we long for Christ. Holy Spirit, would you remind us of Christ, remind us of who he is, remind us of why he came, remind us of why we are in no longer need of forgiveness if we are in Christ, that there is no shame in Christ, that there is freedom, there is forgiveness. And so we thank you for all these things. Point us to Christ this morning. Lord, I pray that people will hear a better sermon that they will see a great Savior, and they will leave rejoicing that Christ is above all. He is worthy of all praise. We thank you for all these things. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So this passage is a bit tricky. It's not one that uh, we go to all of the time. It's not one full of bumper stickers that we put on the back of our cars. But it is a great passage. So let's spend some time looking at this passage. Um, As we consider Christ and his judgment, we must keep in mind who Jesus is addressing. I want us to see the main point of this text is that blessing awaits those who follow Jesus by faith. Blessing awaits those who follow Jesus by faith. So blessing has come, and we're going to see throughout this passage that blessing is found in Christ, that he is bringing blessing. If we look at this passage and the structure as a whole, it's broken down in these sections. So the Son of Man comes in his glory. There's going to be a separation of sheep and goats, the blessing of the king and the kingdom to come, and then the response of the righteous. And So that's the breakdown really quickly. But first, verse 31, let's listen to Jesus as he teaches us. Jesus declares, when the Son of Man comes, this is often a response, a description of who Jesus is, he's the Son of Man. This, we see this in Ezekiel, we see this in Jesus' ministry, he describes himself not only as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man. When he comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So this isn't gonna be subtle. This isn't gonna be quiet. We're not gonna be tiptoeing around. We are gonna see Christ returning. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus comes to fulfill the prophecies. Now that's probably not something new to you. You've probably heard that before, but we need to be reminded that there were promises made and that there's promises kept in Christ, that he comes to fulfill the prophecies. There's so many different passages I wanted to refer to. Here's just one this morning from Daniel 7 as Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. Daniel 7 says this. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages, should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed so this is from daniel hundreds of years ago many years ago pointing to christ who would come and fulfill the prophecies so when is christ returning we don't know the hour we don't know the day but we do know this that the king will return what happens When he returns. What does the passage say? It says he will sit on his throne. He will judge the world. He will welcome his sheep into everlasting glory. The passage continues and says that the goats will await fire and judgment. But what else do we see in verse 31? Yes, he returns, but look for a bit of repetition. What is being repeated in verse 31? Glory. So there is a theme here that's being repeated. The Bible uh, helps us to see what the author is trying to emphasize. Repetition should get our attention. This is a natural highlighter being used by the author. And what is being highlighted is the concept of glory. We just sang about the king of glory, the king of kings who is returning. And so there's this concept of glory in verse 31 that he is coming in glory. We are gonna see his weight, his power, his significance, his worth, that he is returning in glory. What do we read in the Old Testament? Many things of glory, but in particularly in Isaiah, we read that the whole earth is full of the Lord's glory. In Luke, Luke two, the glory of the Lord surrounded the shepherds as the angels declared the good news that a savior was born. The savior is born in humble and lowly circumstances where only some know the significance of His birth. But now here, in Matthew, it says He comes in His glory. This is unlike the first coming, where only a few here. Now we see that He comes with power and glory. It's triumphant, it's unmistakable. The text tells us that He sits on His glorious throne. So this reveals His glory as the triumphant Son of Man. Christ comes in His glory. He reveals His radiance. The weight of His holiness and greatness is set before us as He's about to judge. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, comes in His glory, and it says that He is about to judge. We don't have time this morning, but I encourage you to go back and look at Psalm 2, Psalm 2, again, is pointing us to the judge who would come. Christ is coming. He's coming to carry out the Father's plan to judge. So Jesus comes to fulfill the prophecies. Second, Jesus comes to judge the peoples. Verses 32 and 33. When you transition from verse 31 to verse 32, it's like that part in the pool when it goes from five feet down to eight feet and you're instantly in over your head. That's where I felt like in uh, verses 32 and 33. So what what do we see here in this section? Well, in general, this is not a a parable. It may look like a parable, but it's pointing to teaching by Jesus, and it's pointing to, again, prophecies that will be fulfilled by Christ. In Matthew, just the previous chapter, it says, This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world, As a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the nations are gathered around the throne. The judgment is about to take place. So who is gathered around the throne? There are Jews and there are non-Jews. There's the Gentiles. They're all gathered around to be judged by Jesus. This was predicted. Now all must stand before King Jesus. The nations are gathered. The scriptures tell us that they will be separated. Jesus, the judge, will separate them one from another. Verse 33 says he will put the sheep on his right and he'll put the goats on the left. So quick word about sheep and goats. Sheep and goats are not cute and cuddly. You've likely heard the phrase before, as stubborn as a goat. Hopefully you didn't hear that at Thanksgiving by a relative. But sheep and goats are not cute and cuddly. Sheep and goats are not dogs and cats. From a distance, sheep and goats could be mistaken for one from another. They could be very similar, but they are quite different. From their coat type to their temperament, they are very, very different. But this isn't a livestock lesson. So what is Jesus getting at here as he separates the sheep from the goats? What is he trying to tell us? What is he teaching us? Well, he's using them, as you're probably aware, as a metaphor to point his audience and point us today to why the sheep are on the right. Why are they on the right? Why are they honored? Why are they there? Let's hear a word from D.A. Carson about this separation. Carson says, in the countryside, sheep and goats mingle during the day. At night, they were often separated. Sheep tolerate the cool air, but goats have to be herded together for warmth. In sparse grazing areas, the animals might be separated during the day as well. But now, these well-known simple pastoral details are freighted, that is, they're weighted with symbolism. The right hand is the place of power and honor. So Christ is telling us something. He's teaching us something that the sheep will be honored, that they will receive power because of who they are united to. This leads to the third point. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. Not only does Jesus come to fulfill the prophecies, Jesus comes to judge the peoples. Third, Jesus comes to bless his own. Verses 34 through 40. This is where blessing has come. Blessing comes through Christ. The judgment has taken place. There's a separation, the sheep, the goats. Now the king makes this declaration. Look with me, verse 34. King Jesus says to the sheep on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Hear that emphasis, my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What a beautiful statement. What a humbling statement that this blessing, this inheritance, this glory, this blessing that comes from Christ is extended to us. And as you think about verse 34, and if you took a look at the sermon study guide this past week, you're reminded that the gospel was never plan B. The Trinity wasn't pacing the halls of heaven thinking, oh no, didn't expect Adam and Eve to do that wasn't expecting Abraham to go off track. Isaac and Jacob, that's a curveball. No, the triune God always planned the gospel as plan A. So what clues us into this truth? How do we know that the gospel was always plan A? Well, we see it in scripture. God was preparing to bless his own from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. We already read this scripture. Let's read it again. Ephesians 1 amplifies this truth in saying, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. What a humbling truth that God has called us, that he has chosen us, that he has planned for us to be holy and blameless. Also here, the scriptures again, as Jesus prays to the Father in John 17, he prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory. Again, the theme of glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. So we see blessing is coming. Blessing is coming because of Christ Christ. So God chose us, and he planned to blessing, bless us. But what does this blessing include? Sometimes blessing and blessed and the hashtag blessed life can be thrown around like yard signs during election season. It can be a bit much. So if you search Instagram, being blessed might look like toned bodies, smiley babies, and the perfect cup of coffee. But those who are blessed, according to Jesus are those who listen to his own words from earlier in Matthew. These are those who are blessed. Those who are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness again for the kingdom of heaven is theirs." So we see a theme even in Matthew 5, here in Matthew 25, that the kingdom of heaven comes to those who are united to Christ. So this brings comfort, this brings encouragement for the grieving widow, for the single faithful father, for those who long for the debilitating pain to cease, for those who are enduring persecution at the hands of others, all of these groups have one thing in common as they walk by faith, trusting in Christ. What do they all have in common? They seek the kingdom. And Jesus says the kingdom is theirs. Listen again to verse 34. We can't read it enough. Jesus declares this royal invitation to his children. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is a royal declaration. This is a beautiful invitation from the earliest of disciples who heard the words, come, follow me, to us today when we hear the words, come, follow me, to even now as we hear the words, come, enjoy with me and for us to see what has been prepared by the Father. What a beautiful invitation to rejoice in. Those who are blessed have been shown grace by the Father. We are blessed in that the heavenly inheritance awaits because of our special relationship to Christ. A heavenly inheritance that surpasses all that we could imagine awaits those united to Christ. This glorious inheritance, the kingdom, reveals the Father's heart. Christ, the King, ushers in the kingdom, and blessing has come to you, not because of our deeds, but because of what Christ has accomplished. It's because of what He has done. It's not because of all of our knowledge, not because of what we know, it's but because of who we know. It's because of Christ. As I think about the kingdom, and as I learn about the kingdom, and as I long for the kingdom, I find Graham Goldsworthy particularly helpful. I was thinking about it. Have I shared this quote before? Probably have, but it's worth sharing again. Graham Goldsworthy says this. The pattern of the kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. Christ is accomplishing what God has planned. When we study our Old Testament in light of the New Testament, it's clear. Adam failed. Israel failed. But Jesus comes in victory. We saw that last week from John 16. But he comes, Christ comes as the better Adam, the true Israel, the perfect son, to carry out God's purposes perfectly. The promised kingdom that we see here Points us to the future glorious kingdom. Israel failed, but Christ redeems. The promised kingdom that succeeds is the one that begins and ends with Jesus. Let me say that again. The promised kingdom that succeeds is the one that begins and ends with Jesus. So we are blessed because of Christ, we are heirs because of Christ. Let me ask you this morning, do you trust in Christ? Let me encourage you not to leave this morning unless you are trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior. The virgin birth of Jesus is amazing to think about. We think about that naturally this time of year, but the birth of Jesus doesn't save. He lived, he died, and he rose again. The resurrected Christ is who we put our faith in. So let me encourage you this morning that if you don't know Christ, if you have questions about trusting Christ, let me encourage you to talk to Pastor Cody, talk to Pastor Mike, myself, about what it means to trust in Christ as Savior. So we believe the gospel of good news that opens our eyes to God's eternal kingdom. I heard this this past week from Tim Keller. Keller is always spot on. He says the gospel is not only the way to enter God's kingdom, it is also the way to live and grow and serve as part of God's kingdom. That's where Jesus is taking us. That's where we see verses 35 through 40 being played out. As we know God, as we trust Christ We will naturally serve others. We will love others. We will love our neighbors. We'll love our community. We'll love even our enemies. And that's what Christ is telling us in these next few verses. Jesus uh, turns in his teaching. He gives rationale for why the disciples inherit the kingdom. The disciples have served the king's brothers, the king's sisters. He gives evidence of this when they fed the hungry. They clothed the stranger and they cared for those in prison. The reason for admission, Christ says, to the kingdom of God, it reflects evidence of grace when we see these good works. This is not cause for earning salvation, but this reflects evidence of God's grace. In verses 35 and 36, we see what compassionate Christ followers look like, that we go and we serve. We go and we care for those who are oppressed. This is compassionate care by the body of Christ. Some have called actions described here in this section, ministries of mercy. Others have called it showing humility. Whatever you call it, such actions show the heart of Christ. We see the heart of Christ on display. When we serve, like we see here, it's practical It's humble. It's thoughtful. It should be Christ-dependent, Christ-exalting with the goal of relieving suffering. So Jesus commends the disciples for how their devotion was reflected in their deeds, for how they cared for the hungry, those who were thirsty, those who were in prison. So we see a faith that is genuine, a faith that seeks to obey God in word and in deed. So in verses 37 through 39, the disciples respond to what Jesus says. And like many times, the disciples are a bit confused. That's par for the course for them. And so they ask three questions, three questions in response to what Jesus had told them. And I wondered about these questions. And I think that these questions are not the disciples questioning Jesus, but rather the questions come from humble curiosity. In verse 40, the last verse of our section, King Jesus speaks. He speaks with authority, and he brings clarity, and he says, truly. You've heard him say this elsewhere, truly, truly. Here he says again, truly. He's used this word before, and in essence, he's calling our attention to the words that are about to follow. These words are affirming to the disciples, but they're also applicable for us today. As Jesus talks about the brothers and sisters of mine, it's imperative that we understand who he's referring to. The brothers and sisters are believers. They are sheep themselves. So our compassion must begin there. But of course, it doesn't end there. Earlier in Matthew, we are told that we're to love our brothers and sisters in the faith. We are to love our neighbors. We are to love our community. We are to love even our enemies. This is one of the distinctions that separates Christianity from all other world religions. But that's not what Jesus is driving home here. Here he's pointing to the unique connection and blessing between Christ and his own. This connection between Christ and his own reminds me about, of Paul's conversion story and the connection between the followers of Jesus and Jesus himself. Look with me at Acts chapter 9, real quick. Kevin's going to preach on this passage in a few weeks. I don't want to steal too much of his thunder, but... Look with me at the first five verses of Acts 9. I'm just going to summarize what's going on here. Saul, as you know, you've read this passage, you've heard this passage. Saul is threatening. He's murdering the disciples who are following the Lord. He went out of his way to persecute and imprison those who follow Christ. Then in Acts 9, 3, we read this. Everything changes. As a light from heaven flashed around Saul, he falls to the ground. He hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds, who are you, Lord? Then the voice from heaven declares, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. This is amazing. This is astonishing on several different levels of what we see between Christ and his followers. I want us to see the connection there between Saul, who is persecuting the believers, and he says, you are persecuting me, Christ himself. So there's a connection there in Acts 9, but there's also a connection here in Matthew 25. Not in terms of oppressing followers, but in blessing those united to Christ. Blessing has come. Blessing has come when we are united to Christ by faith. The glorious inheritance that was planned from the foundation of the world has come. And it is coming. So that is why we love Christ. That is why we serve others. I wanted to end with a few points of application. As we think about verse 40 one more time, it brings me comfort, it brings me joy. Verse 40 shouldn't alarm us, it should remind us that as evidence of grace, God's grace in our lives, we will serve others, we will love others, and so I want us to see a few points of application. That when you are showing compassion, you are showing compassion and honor to Christ himself. This isn't just about loving others, feeding others, helping those in prison, but we are showing honor to Christ himself. When you think about showing compassion, know it is hard, especially during days and seasons of suffering. It's not always easy. I know you know this, to show compassion, especially when you're going through prolonged seasons of suffering. I know many of you could teach me, most of you could teach me a lot about what it means to go through suffering. You could teach about what the Lord has taught you going through suffering. But know this, You do not suffer alone. Our God hears you. He sees your pain. So during those seasons of suffering, think upon our Savior. He came, born in humble circumstances, and he lived not as one applauded, but one who was despised. He was rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. What, as Isaiah said, people hid their faces from him. He was despised and overlooked Yet even he showed compassion on the distressed and the dejected. Number three, you never know how the compassion compassion you show will impact others in seeing Christ. We don't do it for this reason, but as we show Christ to others, may they see Christ in us and may they glorify our great God. Number four, when you're showing compassion... God sees your work and blessing will come. God sees your work and blessing will come. Hebrews six complements this truth. It says, "God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him, as you have helped His people, and continue to help him. Continue to help them. So know those, those truths. I hope they bring you comfort and joy in following Christ. So know this as we close. King Jesus is coming to town. Blessing and honor for sheep near and far. Blessing that surpasses a shooting star. The King has come and is coming again. Until then, we await the kingdom where kingdom hope lives without end. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Lord, remind us that the King is coming. Remind us that he is coming with blessing for his own. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for these truths. Lord, I pray that we will see Christ again in your word. Help us to rejoice in these truths, to see blessing has come for the people of God And Lord, I pray that this will fill our hearts to not only love you, but to love one another. As we walk by faith, as we proclaim these truths, as we stir one another towards love and good deeds, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for coming and for rescuing us from our sin. Lord, we praise you for this time together as we've studied your word. May you sanctify your people. May you make us more like Christ in the days ahead. Help us to rejoice in the truth that not only Christ has come as a baby, but he is coming again in glory. To the glory of God alone we pray. Amen.